First of all, a very happy new year to everyone listening and thank you for joining the first BAJ podcast of 2021. That the last year has been challenging for many is a fact. But at the start of a new year, it's a good time to perhaps look forward. And to do this, I have invited a very special guest for the BAJ podcast today. I'm excited to welcome an inspirational industry specialist and visionary who runs her own company, The Futurist, leads strategic editorial projects for brands, publications, and international and governmental organizations, as well as coordinating programs for research groups and think tanks at the international level. In summary, there is no one better suited to ponder the future with me than my guest today, Paula De Luca. Welcome, Paula. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you for having me. It's a great honor to be part of your podcast series because you've been interviewing incredible professionals. So thank you for having me. Thank you for starting this incredible 2021. We are beginning a new decade with great hope and great vision. So Paola, actually to start, can we talk a little bit about yourself and what you do? Well, I am, let's say I'm, I'm named uh, as a creative director and a trend forecaster um, as I started as originally as a jewelry designer in the early 90s. And my career evolved from designing into creative direction because I've started leading design team. And then from that, I entered this, let's call it segment or career, which is trend forecasting, which is still unknown in terms of the average uh, professionals or in the industry, but really is about strategy. It's about having a design strategy, a design thinking into in the jewelry industry, in the luxury industry, uh, including uh, research, uh, data, and strategizing whatever is image, product directions, and distribution, basically. is having a creative and, and, and innovative approach to the in industry. And so just to touch upon one point you've mentioned, you began your career as a jewelry designer for Fendi. What drew you initially to the jewelry industry? Well, the truth is I have I was born and, and, and raised in Rome and I started my studying in Rome where I studied art and then I won a scholarship. Uh, for um, in metalsmith for large scale production, but the real passion that I had was fashion. But by fashion was not just clothing; it was about uh, really communicating through image and through whatever was basically semiotics and through appearance. So my passion between what was the concept of fashion uh, and, and appearance and or customers and jewelry really uh, turned into jewelry design. Also because I was attracted by being independent, financially independent. I was able to make my own jewelry physically. I was an incredible wax maker, a wax designer. So I could design and make my pieces, which was an added value for companies at that time. And I started immediately working with companies in Italy, presenting myself with rendering, going in factories, and also assembling components, which is a, a, a tradition that we have in Italy of 
taking components, pre-existing pieces, chain, gemstones, and designing based on these elements. So it's kind of really cut and pasting or just assembling, and it's a way, different way of, it's called, it's what is now called upcycling. Um, and so using pre-existing element or component or waxes and design. So that was my real attraction because it was, helping me to really be creative immediately i could see immediate results and companies and manufacturers would be what would be very easy for them to produce because they would really see a concept in reality and so they would save their money and at the same time they could see immediately the result we could even estimate the weight because based on the weight of the of the component either in wax or or in metal they could foresee if it was four grams or 10 grams or 15 grams, if it was in gold or steel, sterling, and if it was, for instance, custom jewelry, I would just assemble it and solder it and then give the model to a model maker, which would define and finalize the master model, and then we would get into production. So from concept to production, it would be very fast. And I think that was my original success in my career. So you now run The Futurist, and before I ask you to expand on how The Futurist supports the industry, I would really like to ask you what made you then decide to go from this, where you were very successful and, and experienced and offering something that was quite necessary for an industry, to then going into your own business, offering something else? Well, I, beca I became more abstract in the, in the sense that I went from material to uh, services because the truth of the matter that was first of all more interesting for me because i think my 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 maybe talent or maybe attraction was more about strategy and i always saw any topic any anything i do from a strategic perspective so to me working on a collection without being involved into the marketing campaign and into the distribution and understanding the environment and the market segment and the retailer i think would be limiting so that's why I started really, and, and I was lucky enough that when I moved to the United States, that's where my real career started. And in fact, I started in New York in the early 90s when I my first real job was entering as, as part of the design team at Fendi Jewelry and Watches. Um, then after that, I joined as I became a global um, creative director for Uno R, which was an Italian, is an Italian company, which at the time Forbes magazine um, uh, positioned as the first ex global exporter in the world. In We're talking about the, early, the 90s. Because I was in New York as a designer, and then I became a chief designer and a creative director, I was exposed to retailers, trunk shows, I was presenting the collections, I was meeting consumers, I was at the sales floor level at when presenting. So I was exposed to so many experiences that when I had some kind of a design brief, it wasn't to me, I couldn't just, you know, go on a desk and draw. I felt that I needed a larger perspective. So that's why I shifted from designing into leading design. And then the leading design uh, translated into creating strategies that could basically embrace 
the entire executive team, I was lucky enough, and of course I was supported by people that for some reason believed in me. And so that, that was very interesting. And while I was doing that, I started also being an editor for Vogue Gioiello, Vogue Jewelry at that time. And so I became also a correspondent. My editorial uh, segment was trend forecasting and, and, and antennas. So my strength was spotting upcoming trends. And when I call trends, this is very important. It's not about finding just niche, amusing, a unique element, but really macro trends that they come from consumer sentiment and culture, social cultural shifting that then is going to embrace products and changes. So it's not about if oops are, are, are popular or not, or a ring, but why people is drawn into oops or another basic product and what does it mean basics today so that was my interest my and, and so that's why i shifted from designing into this because honestly and i think i share with you sophie this passion was always about why why things happen i always had to go back to this primary and primordial question why and and every time i would do that it would give me such a broader perspective and that i my mission until today it is to share that perspective and share all these elements that makes me every day wanting to wake up and do whatever i'm doing because i feel so privileged that like we shared i am paid to do that so you're basically saying that you're looking at the bigger picture and if there is a new trend in terms of minimalism you're figuring out you know where that's coming from and how that then is going to be developing can you tell us a little bit you know as your business the futurist how companies engage with you and how they can benefit from the services the trend forecasting offering that you have for them how does that work well basically i think we should start naming uh trend forecasting more of design thinking and strategy because i think that if we start using that naming you know it's it's easier for people because sometimes when you talk about trend forecasting people is into uh what is the trend uh, that's not the point the point is What's that? How can I, as a company, change, evolve, and innovate constantly myself as a company, as an organization, as a professional? Of course, we are looking at from a creative perspective, as creative thinkers, uh, creative uh, as meaning thinking out of the box. And in this particular case, now more than ever during the pandemic, we are forced into this, we are facing radical changes digital disruption and historical disruption now how can we change um based on our uh, legacy heritage strength but looking at the present and future so those this is what we do we are basically we research we are looking at the environment and we are basically together with our partner uh, or client whatever you want or audience whatever whoever is, is is our client or an audience we are basically thinking together how to evolve and we are trying to create a journey a roadmap an easy way to get from uh, point a to b or c and, and looking at the short, medium, and long-term picture uh, in order to evolve, as, again, 
as an individual, professional, company, organization, and so on. That's what we do. And, and very often what we do is we work with internal team to inspire, educate, train, and again, update them on what's happening. So maybe going on from that, 2020 was obviously really, really challenging for the entire industry. And what occurred could not have been foreseen by anyone, but is forcing us to think about change immediately. With this global impact, what changes you've touched upon digital transformations and what changes do you think are the key things to keep in mind moving forward? Well, you know, it's banal to say the digital world is, is, is strong. Digital transformation is necessary. Um, the semantic are not clear yet, meaning that um, it's not just by posting or being there that makes you uh, relevant. I think that having an, an analytical perspective is important. Right now, we are all in the learning curve. You know, uh, Of course, millennial and Gen Z are a little bit more active online, meaning they are very active and they know all the uh, you know, tricks and, and, and whatever to, for, of the algorithm, of the posting and the latest app and technology and whatever. But uh it's not enough and it's not going to be enough meaning that right now the the serious players and the stakeholders they are monitoring the shifting uh there are companies like bottega veneta which is an important uh, player in the fashion uh, uh, and luxury in italy which is considered like the, the the italian Hermes. so the position is very high they just pulled away from instagram so not because Instagram is not relevant, but because there are new dynamics that they are being designed and thought. So intellectuals and thinkers like me or you or people that they do that, we are studying this information. So when you're asking me, what are the relevant changes? Yes, we have to, there is a digital disruption, but we are going to, we are foreseeing counter trends or, or like you know reaction there is always an action and reaction the action is being you know leading i mean following the reaction is taking a pause and maybe changing and then they are going to be the new leaders the new leaders are not just going to be online it's going to be a digital reality as soon the pandemic it's over and i don't think i'm a genius i'm just like it's normal we are going to have a euphoria in wanting to be live, uh, physical, I think that we are going to want more to live a, a, a three six senses experiences with fragrances, color, emotions, temperature, uh, air quality, and physical. So stores will need to become the ultimate luxury or place or destination for physical experience. They might also be supported by AE presence or like magic mirror because you want to maybe try something on without, you know, undressing yourself or putting something on. And we are going to have some kind of merging experiences online and vice versa physically. Um, so I say that right now, everybody has to go back to study, especially the top management, taking courses online, unlearning to relearn, rethink and redesign their, their present and future.
in a way, a very interesting future to look forward to. I mean, maybe following on from this, you work in close contact with the Fiera di Vincenza, Vincenza Fair, now part of the Italian exhibition group, and you regularly speak and organize panels at the annual trade show. Now, with the pandemic limiting traveling for at least, you know, another year and likely affecting uh, travel maybe moving forward a little bit as well. Do you think that formula of a trade show has to also think about adapting? Well, I think, Sophie, the, the world already had to adapt and adapt it because unfortunately, trade shows all over the world have been canceled for obvious reasons, you know, for like, you know, um, uh, airport being closed, the vaccine limitation, lockdown and so on. Um, so the, 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 the shifting is that we cannot wait as Fiera di Vicenza to be uh, live again, like every show. At the same time, we have started a journey online uh, in order to keep the communities together and to find new format to update and network and communicate whatever it's happening right now. We are kind of in a, in a virus war that we are facing. And because of that, we are communicating more and more online with podcasts and webinar and live. And it's our duty to support the industry. We, we said that before, you know, you and I, it's our duty to give back to the industry and help. At the same time, we have to prepare the new formats, you know, show format, which is going to be a combination of incredible live events, which is going to be explosive. Uh, as soon we're going to have one, you know, and at the same time, keep the, the, the crescendo, you know, that online, because things are mixing, blending, evolving, and they're becoming fascinating. So uh, I think everything is going to be great. I mean, honestly, I mean, I see uh, the, really the, the key word is euphoria. We're going to be, it's going to be amazing. I, I really feel it because it even economic people, even though right now there is an economic, global economic crisis, as soon the lockdown ends and finally we can walk, people will be spending money, will just the hope and the and, and the revenge, you know, of really wanting to be alive again, the economy is going to boom. I kind of want to touch upon something else you've done, which is you published a luxury book with Rizzoli International in 2019, Farah Khan, A Bejeweled Life, which documents the life story of Farah Khan Ali, a contemporary Indian woman, and takes you through the sort of intimate facets of this bold entrepreneur and jewelry designer's journey. Can I ask how you got started on this project, which is in line with everything else you've been doing, sort of analyzing things? And also, do you think actually this pandemic and the context is now even bringing more into focus that we should really look at inspiration globally and look for inspirational figures in that sense as well? Absolutely, Sophie. I mean, of course, I'm always inspired by 
the world, you know, which is can be local, can be global, and can become global, you know. Um, the project with Farah started because, you know, I met Farah many years ago in India. I was actually leading a project for the Beers group, and I was basically art directing a group of VIP designers in India. And I had the pleasure of meeting Farah Kanali. At that time, we just were like, you know, we we're like Quentin and he do, you know, throughout the years we became friends because I, I, be, I started a love affair with India where I started going in the early two, year 2000 and, and I've been going for the last 20 years. So I started a very strong collaboration with GJPC, which is Gem Jewelry Expert Association Council. And I became very you know, close to the industry, to the side holders and the local designers. Um, so Farah, it's an interesting character because not only she's an interesting the jewelry designer, but she has a she's really a visionary herself, and she has more of a lifestyle feeling. She's really like someone very very um, open minded. That she has she's creative on a different level. And and I have to say on a private level, she's very responsible she's always very concerned about her team into sustaining her factories her worker she's very like socially involved and that was my soft spot for farah so when farah uh, started on a private level mentioning her worries that she always needed to feed their factory to support her worker i basically gave the idea of, of really saying farah you shouldn't worry about bringing orders to your factories because there are people that they're good in doing this but rather you should kind of present a manifesto of your vision and become a lifestyle brand rather than just being a jewelry designer. So, and, and I basically suggested her to create the, a book, uh, which was going to be a manifesto of her vision and really, um, you know, set, uh, outline the pillars of her vision and, and create a world, the journey that was going from intangible to tangible, from spirituality into finished product, from nature into color, gemstone and textures. So I basically, what I did is I curated what something that she was doing unconsciously, and I translated into a journey that was going to basically narrate uh, Farah contemporary India to the world. So I took Farah as, 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 a, as a case history uh, that could be done for designers, for brands, related to their um, local uh, territory, which is in this case is an incredible place because India, I mean, what's what, India, how can it be more inspiring than India, you know, and, and I was lucky, but do in, in my last 20 years, I, I've discovered in India that is not popular for everybody, you know, so in the contemporary India, underground India, fashion, in, in, because usually India is known for, you know, all the traditional, the sari and the elephant, all the Instead, India is very, very edgy, very, very innovative. There is technology involved. And Farah represents modern India more than ever. Of course, she's a 
privileged, uh, eclectic uh, individual, but she represents modern women, modern entrepreneurs, and modern India. That's why I've done it. And I think this, let's call it format, even though I don't like to call it format, it can be uh, reproduced uh, conceptually for anyone. Could be, again, a professional, a designer, a company, because now the, the, the buzzword is storytelling, okay? We need to storytell, we need to create a narrative for anything we do. And we need to understand the why things happen, how they evolve, and where are they going. And I, more than the books, now more than ever, it's kind of a roadmap, a visual journey that can be then translated into a digital strategy, a communication campaign. So when they're saying book, books are obsolete, I don't think so. Books are the document that will remain and stay from now onwards for like the next centuries and more. Of course, you need the digital part, but the book makes you like the monument of your thoughts and vision. And that's the, that's why I did this. And I was lucky that Rizzoli, which is, you know, an important publisher, want, you know, decided to publish it. And we got the recognition of Forbes magazine, New York Times and so on. And so I was blessed together with Farah and Rizzoli for that. It's an amazing idea that it allows these stories to be seen across borders because that doesn't happen enough. It's often that you see a facade of a of a company and it's rare that you then, given that I'm not in India, I could talk to Farah, but by having her word or seeing it in the book, you suddenly are very close. Yes, but and, and I want to add something else, Sophie, to what you said. I think, you know what's happening? And, and again, I am like, I consider myself someone that thinks is, is outside, you know, almost an underdog, okay? I mean, meaning I always like to be independent and this has been my strength and my weakness, you know, at the same time. Everybody, especially online, they, they tend to feature the establishment, the big brands, the known brands. I think that the most important, the most interesting, refreshing and inspirational stories are the one to be told. And I'm constantly seeking for the ones that no one ever share. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Africa. I'm looking for, I'm looking at the Middle East, uh, Lebanese designers, again, African design, Africa right now it's booming. There are incredible designers. I mean, also like, you know, forget just like men's uh, black lives matter. I mean, because of course it's an issue that we have, but you know, African and Afro-American, they have so many ideas. I mean, look at the big players in fashion and, and in the music industry and, and the designers. I mean, I want to go to uh, Kenya and I want to go to Botswana and there are designers on the street almost. People, they are completely unknown that they do the most incredible thing that can be picked up by big brands and reinterpret and maybe collaborate together. Same in Brazil, same in, in India or Korea or China. Those are the stories that I think are going to take the world to the next level. I mean, I don't want to mention big brands because I don't want to bring either 
negative publicity or positive but it's like enough with the big brands you know they are completely trying to reinvent themselves and they're struggling to do so uh because the world has changed and 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 maybe the big brands need to do capsule collections collabs with these people i mean i am hungry myself for collaboration with with new thinkers and new designers and it, because i'm in the I'm a middle-aged woman by now. I mean, and it is my job to direct and maybe support, but not direct in a vertical level, in an horizontal way, to curate talent and support talent to bloom. And this is our duty. And same has to be done by the, 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 the big companies, the big corporation. The big corporation, they have to help designers and change. And that's how we're going to take it to the next level. Otherwise, we are silo thinker versus then siloless players. Beautifully said. I think it couldn't be said any better than that. During the pandemic, you have worked with Jury Outlook organizing a range of webinars, talking about a range of subjects. And in one of them, you highlighted sort of the need for companies to do certain things differently. Can we expect more of these things? Where should companies go to stay in this conversation and to engage moving forward? First of all, I want to thank David Broth, which is the founder and editor-in-chief of Jewelry Outlook, which he did an incredible job himself into developing these incredible specialistic platform of jewelry within the trade of course b2b and david did a great job and set an example and so i have to thank david for always in, in including me in the project as i always did with him uh, i think that there are many activities and many steps that each of us started individually. Some companies have been faster than others. Some people have been moving incredibly well, fearless, I would say. Uh, some other companies are a little bit, a little bit more conservative. So I think that we really have to go back to the to think tank, you know, together. I think that think tanking today, and this is something that we as professional, we may need to offer to have like think tanks either online with groups or individually. Actually, this is something that I, I should launch and we should launch, where companies may have to may share their like you know concerns, doubts, limitation, because what the pandemic i really i think really brought in you know in a positive way actually to the table is the need for creating squads or squads or team i mean we should not be and when i say once again i'm going to use the word siloless we should embrace a collaboration uh we should not only think about commercial in terms of what can i get from it how much money can i do from it because it's no longer about how much money you're going to make. Because you might not make any. I don't know if it makes sense. I mean, if you keep thinking only about money, you're not going to make any money. It's about how can I grow and how can we grow together? How can I learn from you? What can I give you and offer you? And how we can grow together in a sustainable and ethical way. 
Now, it, it, it sounds nice, but that's the only way to go about it. I mean, if I, if I, if everything I do, I'm going to ask for a, for a, for a fee, I'm not going anywhere. I mean, I've started project do, projects during this six month, eight month with no money. I just did it because I thought it was necessary to do it. And sometimes I accepted very limited budgets because these days the economy is struggling worldwide. So, I am doing things in a, I don't want to use the word generous because I'm not generous. I do what I think has to be done. And I know that the industry and the world will reward everyone that has contributed during difficult times. And money will come to me and anybody else that has that approach. So I think that today we have to help each other and company have to say, you know what, let's sit down together. What can we do? And what can I give you as well? Not just what can I get from you? Kind of when you're talking, it kind of reminds me of sort of open source thinking. For example, you have all these, particularly in computing, you have all these open source platforms where you have this code being shared and people look at it and they give feedback. And I think this happens in certain industries and it doesn't happen a lot in our industry. But this is a super valuable resource, that open source thinking, the putting that problem in front of a bunch of people and getting lots of people to think about it from all these different perspectives is super valuable. And I can't wait to see what you'll end up doing next. I hope um, I'll have an opportunity to be part of it. <laughs> you are already part of it. So I thank you uh, from the industry perspective for your podcast, for your research. You are very, your contribution is extremely valuable. We need to create open sources, and I agree with you that this uh, industry and this field and this sector, it is uh, uh, limited and is being in, in a way the limit of the industry, but everything that is a limitation, it is an opportunity. It, it is our duty to take it as an opportunity. Once again, not with the approach of saying, what can I get from it, but rather say, what can I do and where can we go together? And, and things will happen, you know, for you, for me, for others, and in very mysterious ways, uh, but that's the magic of life. I mean, if we have a thought and if we have an internal urge to do something, that's our life purpose. And by fulfilling your life purpose, you are enriching yourself with light and energy. And now I sound very holistic and spiritual, but the concept of life purpose, that's what it is. So if I feel that creating an open source platform in terms of sharing and giving, that's something that makes me spark and gives me energy, that's what I have to do. And that's what we have to do. And by helping people, people will help you back in different ways. You know, maybe just say thank you, but thank you can bring you a long way, you know? <laughs> it's never been more challenging to plan for our immediate future than today. Whilst the world is grappling with this crisis, I do believe we need to pull together and reimagine ways to connect, ways to celebrate, ways to exchange ideas. There's no one more 
interested in stimulating change within our field than my guest today. And I would really like to thank you, Paula, for your time, your insights, and all you have done already for our industry during this difficult time. Your Insta Lives, the Zoom sessions, articles, they've all been inspirational distractions, but also building stones for the future. We are very grateful for your efforts and expertise. Thank you so much, Paula. I, I thank you truly for, you know, your passion, your excitement. Merci. <laughs> Next month, I'll be joined by another guest. So watch this space to find out who it is. But for now, this was Sophie Boons for the BAJ podcast series, Future Forward Thinking with Paula De Luca. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day.